You're listening to Teachers Talk Radio with Tom Hopkins Burke. Your show will begin shortly. Tune in, talk it out. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Nottingham, this is The Late Show with Tom Hopkins Burke. A very good evening to you listening on Teachers Talk Radio. It is the Late Late Show. It's a show so good they named it twice. My name is Tom Hopkins Burke. I'm live from Nottingham and with you for the next hour. On tonight's show, we're going to be looking back at the latest education news of the last week. And we're going to be looking forward to a weekend and we're going to be looking forward to summer exams as well. What are they going to look like? Let's find out. Live from Nottingham, this is The Late Show with Tom Hopkins Burke on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome aboard the Friday Late Late Show boat. I think tonight and for the next hour we're going to be trying to keep the ship afloat rather than sailing to an unknown destination. As my politics students would say, that's so oak shot. Um, my name is Tom Hopkins Burke. Welcome to the Friday Late Late Show. I'm so delighted to be back in the Podbean studio looking at all of the wonderful people like Harry Waters who are listening live in the studio and of course a big Hello, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, delete is appropriate to everybody listening on demand on the website ttradio.org or on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast software, whatever. And a very good evening to Tom Rogers as well. Um, Yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. This is my first show now for three months. You may have heard me on the Twitter spaces, but I'm now delighted to be back here. And we've had some absolutely thrilling shows this week. I can't go through them all. um, But so here are the ones which stood out to me. We had Lucy Newberger, who was joined by her friend Amy on Tuesday. Amy, once a teacher, now a police officer. That's a great show to go back to once you're finished with me. Um, We had Nathan Ginn, who had Sam Crome, a secondary deputy head in Surrey, who was talking about the research behind high-performing teams. That's a great listen and certainly something which, you know, people will find very relevant. Ollie Haley was joined by Teachers Talk Radio icon Freya Adele to talk about those thorny issues of engagement and outstanding teachers and lessons. It was an outstanding show, to be quite honest with you. And the other show on today, as well as me, was Dorian Brown. He was on the morning break. He had Tegan Creedy talking about how to protect, inspire and empower young people to prevent mental health issues so those are just four of the great shows we've had this week which are well worth a listen back and at the end of this hour i will be plugging tonight's shows as well a very good evening to kate james who is also here in the studio and let's just see if we've got any other notices i always like to start my show with notices oh we've got some notices coming on but let's just see what we've got
there's a big birthday today a big 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 birthday a massive birthday a brilliant birthday yes you guessed it today my twitter account is 10 years old that is today's big big birthday i first joined twitter on the 28th of january 2012 so it's a fantastic birthday today kate jane says tom is 40 next month i don't believe you i don't believe you he doesn't look a day over 35 um Joking aside, there is a really big birthday today. Um, it is that birthday of Teachers Talk Radio. Um, we turned one today. That's right, one year since our first ever Teachers Talk Radio show. I don't have the statistics to hand. I'm sure Tom and Kate probably do. But we've had a lot of shows, a lot of hosts, a lot of tuning in, a lot of talking out. Some brilliant sponsors who we couldn't have done this without, who we'll be hearing from later. And, of course, the brilliant exec team who helped to keep this ship afloat day in, day out. And now is a great time to join us as a host so do dm us at tt radio 2022 for your info pack it's also a great time to join us as a sponsor you'll be hearing later from our brilliant sponsors and what they have to offer you certainly some of their products and services have piqued my interest over the last month so i'm sure you'll look forward to listening to them as well now i did want to play a couple of games tonight the first game I had was Teachers Talk Radio Wordle, in that I'm thinking of a five-letter word. In fact, I used a random five-letter word generator to create a five-letter word. So if you are listening live, please do comment some five-letter words into the chat, text in even, and I will tell you how close you are, and the winning word will win a prize. Kate Jones is in with Tiger. I can tell you now that the E is in the word, but in the wrong place. And that is it. So you've got one correct letter, Kate, in the wrong place, but E. No T, no I, no G, no R. Harry Waters has gone for smell. Harry Waters has gone for smell. I can tell you now that E is in the correct place. And there is an L, but it's not fourth or fifth. And that's it for now. Um, I want to move on and talk about something very important while Kate and Harry carry on guessing their five-letter words. In that yesterday was Holocaust Memorial Day um, on the 27th of January. Now, Holocaust Memorial Day is on the 27th of January because every year it coincides with the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau, the death camp. Um, it's a shame that we're now in Shabbat because I would have liked to have had some Jewish voices on the radio and on Twitter to tell me about how we can best mark Holocaust Memorial Day. Now, the theme for tonight's show is very much I'm going to be looking at the big education news stories. Um, and the first one was on the BBC. Um, and it was about TikTok launching a plan to fight Holocaust denial. And I'm just going to load it up one moment because I think this is a really interesting one because as we know from um, stories about TikTok in education, it's had a very bad press and quite rightly so because of some of the content which has been put on TikTok by students targeting teachers, many of whom have worked for Teachers Talk Radio as well. But it's interesting to see that TikTok has rolled out new measures to combat Holocaust denial um, in partnership with UNESCO and the World Jewish Congress. Users who search for terms relating to the Holocaust will be directed towards accurate information. 
a total of 17% of content related to the Holocaust on the viral video app. I've denied or distorted events. 17%, that's more than one in six. TikTok said it put its full strength into removing hate. And speaking on Holocaust Memorial Day, TikTok said that when people search for a term related to the Holocaust, they'll now see a banner at the top of the results page that prompts them to visit a WJC, World Jewish Congress, and UNESCO website about holocaust.org to learn more. Um, And if they look up hashtags, if people look up hashtags like Holocaust Survivor or hashtag Holocaust Remembrance, they'll also be pointed to the website. Um, And TikTok has also said that in the future it would add a permanent banner at the bottom of any video discussing the Holocaust, which will direct users to authoritative information. The World Jewish Congress President Ronald Lauder said TikTok is known for its ability to reach a younger audience, many of them uninformed about the horrors of the Holocaust and particularly susceptible to misinformation. And the pandemic has, some argue, exacerbated the threat from misinformation. Um, From the BBC, um, they argue that actually searching for phrases like Holocaust is not real, etc., actually lead mostly to clips which refute misinformation and hate rather than spreading it and of having been informed of some of the search suggestions on tiktok by the bbc tiktok removed them um hope not hate the campaign group has um said that there's plenty of anti-semitic content on tiktok which can reach millions um even though they're not very popular compared to the video app's most viral hits but of course the way in which tiktok works is that it gives you an algorithm like any social media app or website where users are presented with a constant stream of clips which similar to most other social networks are individually tailored to their viewing habits so if you happen to watch a clip about holocaust denial the app will probably suggest similar videos and if you watch those you get more of them and so on and so on anybody who's been on a binge on youtube for example will know exactly how that works if i'm watching lee mac on would i lie to you i'm probably going to get more comedy things etc so this is where the rabbit holes come from so The thing is, Holocaust denial is more niche than some people would argue, I would argue, but conspiracies certainly are not. And there is an extremely online audience out there which has this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy when it comes to things as serious as Holocaust denial. And to a large extent, it is the fault of social media algorithms, not the search bars, which can drive misinformation, which can drive fake news, which can drive seriously offensive content. I'd love to know how your school has commemorated Holocaust Memorial Day this week. Or if you're not currently working in a school, um, how schools you've worked in in the past have commemorated Holocaust Memorial Day. Now, Grant White told me that his school marked the occasion with a very thought-provoking assembly from the head teacher, who explained about his grandparent being one of the first British soldiers to liberate Belson um, and the horrors that he had found. He said it was very sobering and one of the best assemblies I've heard. It provoked 
excellent discussion in his tutor group. Harry has said, um, he's texted in, I met an actual real-life person who is a Holocaust denier. Now, Harry, I know you are a host, a Wednesday host, but do, if you can, and I appreciate it's very late where you are, it's probably gone past 11 o'clock now, do call in if you get a chance, and I'd love to talk about that and sort of your experiences of dealing with misinformation and the like as well. It'd be very very interesting and do keep on texting it as well if you can't call in harry said it blew his mind i think and this is from a history teacher's perspective here and kate and tom are in here in the studio as well i'm sure they'll agree they'll have taught the holocaust as experienced history teachers i think that sometimes we can paint an overly rosy view of britain's role in the holocaust um we can talk about for example you know history's narrative ultimately and all history's interpretation um we can paint that narrative that interpretation of us and them of goodies and baddies of britain and the us as liberators and germany as the perpetrators and i'm sure by now most of us have watched um that clip of sir nicholas winton on that's life sir nicholas winton of course who worked tirelessly to rescue 669 children from german occupied czechoslovakia and he kept his rescue efforts a secret until his scrapbook was revealed. Um, but when you look at British responses to the Holocaust in the Second World War, there is a murkier picture. Did you know, for example, that perhaps 10 times as many Jewish refugees were refused entry into the UK as were admitted by 1939? And that rescuers like Nicholas Winton had to pay a guarantee of £50, or just under £3,500 today. But children rescued and taken to England would not remain in the UK at the end of the war. And did you know that some German Jewish refugees were placed in internment camps on the Isle of Man, where they were called scum, aliens, thieves and murderers by British citizens? In a 2018 article, Andy Pearce of University College London Centre for Holocaust Education claimed that after 25 to 30 years, Holocaust education is failing to make an impact. A very, very strong statement. And now about to talk about his experiences with a Holocaust denier, I'm joined by Harry Waters. A very good evening, Harry. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for having me on. Pleasure as always, Harry. Now, I can't have you on too long, of course, because you are a fellow host, but I can have you on for five to ten minutes, I'm sure, without a problem. Now, Harry, you've met an actual real-life person who is a Holocaust denier. Just set the scene for me. Where, when? Well, it, it was quite upsetting, to be honest, because, you know, I I've uh, had known him. Well, I do know him and had known him for a good six or seven years. and I'd always known he was a, a bit of a conspiracy theorist. And he'd been... Like a pretty, a pretty decent friend to me, to be honest. For you know, I, I was in hospital for three weeks. He came in and visited me every day, and you know, it was a, a, a what I thought was a decent guy. And then, then one day we were sitting down having coffee, and uh, he he started with his theories. Start, obviously started with the moon landings, and then moved on next to uh, moved on next to, to nine eleven, and then decided mm. that uh, he would he would bring out the big guns. And uh, said, and you know, the biggest uh, conspiracy of them all, it's the Holocaust. And went on to try and describe how it was all uh, propaganda against the Germans, um, well, against the Nazis, sorry. Mm. Which, it just blew my mind because, you know, this is somebody who I considered to be a friend. Um, 
and then you you kind of realize that and just think what have you been reading mm. it's it, it it says a lot doesn't it i think ultimately about we, I mean, my view very much is we can't pin the blame entirely on the education system. Um, the education system cannot be completely to blame, and there are so many other outside influences and factors as well. But Harry, in your position, you do a lot of work, for example, on climate education. How how do we combat misinformation, fake news, um, and things like this, whether we're talking about Holocaust denial, whether we're talking about climate change scepticism or denial as well. Well, what methods do we use to combat this? I mean, I think just we have to look at the, the evidence, but we have to also look at the evidence that these people have been provided with so you can see it, so you can, you know, debunk this this nonsense that they've they've been reading, that they've they've got in front of them. So, you know, you can't just People won't listen to you if you just say that's fake news. They're, they'll believe what they want to believe. But when you actually see these sources um, and compare them to, you know, perhaps a reliable source rather than, you know, that guy Keith on Facebook who posted that one thing about that something that one time, um, when you can not necessarily confront these people, but when you can bring it to their attention that maybe the materials they've been reading aren't the most reliable in the world and present them with alternative information, then we can hope um, that, that perhaps they'll change their minds. If they won't, we need to get, we need to get them early. You know, if we're getting there nice mm-hmm. and, and quickly um, from an early age to, to describe these, these things and, and teach about them. And, you know, I try and make sure with, with my daughter, she's only eight, obviously, you know, we don't go into the, the gory details of the Holocaust, but she is aware of, of what it is, of, of what it was, um, and, and has an understanding of why it happened and why but it was faith, wrong, obviously. Mm. No, thank, thanks for those contributions, Harry. Um, much, much appreciated. And, you know, certainly very you know, it's harrowing to hear about sort of your experiences with your once, you know, with your once friend and actually how sometimes people who we've known in many cases for several years who we've got along very well with can come out with some of the most dreadful conspiratorial offensive um, nonsense. And it can very quickly change our views and our relationships with them and while of course on teachers talk radio we are you know strangers to you know debate and discussion and disagreement on on some issues you know holocaust denial of course being an example we simply don't tolerate we simply cannot tolerate any hatred and any sort of offensive bile as well so i think there's a real and thank you so much for that harry i think as as a history teacher and i've got tom and kate in here as well kate said um, she's been to auschwitz birkenau saxonhausen and memorial shoes on the danube bank in hungary all very sad um i think as history teachers we have a role to play in terms of how we teach evidential understanding um I've long held that in this current situation of fake news and the like, it's actually 
history as a discipline which has the most to offer in terms of how we can and how we deal with sources in terms of how we deal with issues like reliability about how we deal with issues like provenance and ensuring that we can separate fact or exaggeration from opinion from falsehood and i think history has a really really big role to play it's very interesting that 32% of students in secondary school, this is from UCL again, um, 32% of students in secondary schools believe that Britain declared war on Germany because of the Holocaust, rather than because of the invasion of Poland and previously Czechoslovakia. And of course, the final solution is launched after the start of of the Second World War. However, persecution of Jewish people in Germany starts in 1933 and arguably beforehand as well and persecution of jewish people in western europe and across the world has of course been a phenomenon for thousands of years um very interesting as well looking at what holocaust survivors themselves say about their experiences but also their experiences going into schools now be very interested to hear whether you've invited Holocaust survivors into your classrooms, into your schools to address students. And as we move further and further away from the uh, Holocaust, of course, which ended in 1945, we're how many years now? We're seven, seven, is it 77 years? Is that, is my maths that? Right, 77 years now since the end of the Holocaust. The number of Holocaust survivors are now few and far between. Um, and Jacob Firstand, who arrived in Britain in 1945 as a Holocaust survivor, said that he would no longer speak in schools about his experiences. This is 2018. He said that he feels frustrated that while he is the person who suffered, all the odours is now on him to explain to future generations what happened in the Holocaust. Um, Ellie Ulmer from the Holocaust Education Trust claimed that schools tend to ask for survivors from Auschwitz or Treblinka. Now, that's illustrative in itself, Eliama claims, as only 70 people survived the Treblinka camp. So there's a great deal of misconception, there's a great deal of lack of understanding in terms of the Holocaust. I find with the students I teach, in terms of the differences between, for example, a concentration camp and a death camp, that's one of the biggest misconceptions which students bring to the classroom, which we drill out of them. Another misconception, of course, is um, where the concentration camps are. A lot of um, the students I've taught in the past believe that most Jewish people during the Holocaust were killed in Germany rather than in Poland, for example. Um, there was another very interesting story about um, Holocaust Memorial Day published in The Guardian yesterday, and it was about the book The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. Now, I'm sure that listening in the studio now or maybe listening um, back on demand, you would have come across The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. You may have read the book in one of your subjects when you were at school. You may even have taught using The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. Um, You may have seen the film. Now, Again, this is from UCL and an academic report which says that more than a third of teachers in England have used the best-selling book and film adaptation in lessons on the Nazi genocide, but that it may perpetuate a number of dangerous inaccuracies and fallacies. Now, the ones which spring to mind immediately from my perspective are 
knowledge about the Holocaust and what is going on. Um, interestingly, the UCL reported that drama and English teachers were more likely to use the book than history teachers. And the book, of course, is about a friendship between the son of an Auschwitz commandant and a Jewish boy incarcerated in a Nazi concentration camp. It has sold more than 11 million copies worldwide, so a very famous and very popular book. Um, and the report from the UCL ad, from UCL added that many students, after studying the story, reached conclusions that contributed um, significantly to one of the most powerful and problematic misconceptions of this history: that ordinary Germans held little responsibility and were, by and large, brainwashed or otherwise entirely ignorant of the unfolding atrocities. Among comments from teachers gathering the research were. Students come to us and literally think the Holocaust is the boy in the striped pyjamas. They come with ideas that nobody knew about the Holocaust, um, that people are completely in the dark about it, and they say they feel sorry for the German guard. Now, of course, the author, um, Boyne, says that it is a work of fiction. It is deliberately subtitled A Fable, um, with a moral at the centre. And he says from the start, he hoped it would inspire young people to begin their own study of the Holocaust, which in his case began at the age of 15 and continued in the decades that followed. I think this all raises some fascinating questions about how we teach the Holocaust, how we structure it in terms of how much time and the curriculum we give to um teaching of the Holocaust. I was reading, um, I think it was from Historical Association, about a number of schools which had gone to a two-year key stage three, which had skimped on the Holocaust. Now, history teachers will know, of course, that the Holocaust is the only part of our national curriculum at key stage three, which is mandatory. We have to teach about the Holocaust. And Certainly, that question about what is mandatory in history and what isn't mandatory is one which is up for debate. I'm sure nobody would um, argue against the Holocaust being mandatory to be taught in schools. Um, but it's very interesting in terms of, you know, yes, obviously, it's something we have to teach. But are we guilty? Can we at times be guilty of peddling and communicating misconceptions about the Holocaust? And so oh. this all raises some fascinating questions. And, you know, I feel as if that conversation is one which can continue on Twitter, perhaps after Shabbat is over, and we can speak to some fantastic teachers who are Jewish, who maybe aren't Jewish, who have worked with the UCL, with UCL Centre for Holocaust Education as well, about how we can teach the Holocaust in a way which truly represents the period and truly gives voice to um, those without a voice. Um, Kate has said quite rightly um, a very good point that the tattooist of Auschwitz has been very popular and widely read but it's problematic. Kate if you want to expand on that absolutely please do. Um, now I'd love to carry on hearing your thoughts um, so do keep on texting in um, while we listen to our Friday news update from Gail Glenn. Once I find it, this, oh, you know, I've been here three months. I've been out of here for three months. And the one thing I haven't missed is that tiny scroll bar. Here we go. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, 
articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, the Scottish Liberal Democrats are asking for air filters to be fitted in every classroom and has asked the Education Secretary, Shirley Ann Somerville, to publish a running total of the number being used in classrooms. Ms Somerville refused and said it was the responsibility of local councils to ensure schools met COVID standards. This comes after the announcement that reported Omicron cases have fallen among every age group except for the under-15s. Ms Somerville insisted that local authorities have the resources they need. The government in Liberia, with support from GPE and UNICEF, is making good progress in promoting safe learning and ensuring children can stay healthy while in school. Health kits have been provided for all schools and this has brought about a reduction in the incidence of minor ailments among students, students stopped getting sick from minor ailments and had a positive effect on girls' attendance. One mother, Musa Gray, said 
our children are healthier and happier to go to school. Before the project, they had to carry water mixed with soap, which serve as sanitizer in rubber bottles. And this bottle leaks and soaks their copybook and embarrasses them, as it highlights what they are lacking. Now they have water in school with sanitizers and other cleaning materials. They can use the toilets, not suffer from diarrhea, and are healthier than children who do not go to school. In Mozambique, the Education Support Fund, FAES, which was set up in 2002, has helped the Ministry of Education and Human Development to increase access to education, improve its quality and reduce gender disparities across the country. This input of funding helps the education sector cope with rapid population growth. A new education strategic plan for 2020 to 2029 focuses on reform, improving teaching quality and inputs to producing results. The aim of the plan is to enhance quality and efficiency in the delivery of education services to children. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not going to go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm going to give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes' whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
didn't you just like that two-minute tech from Steve Woods? Loads of amazing ideas there we can really, really go through. And I'm sure there's some things in there which perhaps Tom and Kate will be talking about on their Saturday breakfast show, 9am tomorrow. It's their first show as a pair. Really, really looking forward to it. Kate was going to come, was going to call in, speak of a devil. Here she is. I've got the one thing I've noticed now about um, hosting on here is that invite is staying on for a lot longer than it used to. In the past, you had to really, really catch it. Kate, a very good evening. How are you doing? Hello, Tom. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Oh. Fantastic. Welcome. Welcome aboard. Um, so, Kate, um, you wanted to talk about The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which is a novel by... Heather Morris. It's the story, yes. and let's emphasise the story, um, of how the Slovakian Jew, Lali Sokolov, um, fell in love with a girl he was tattooing at the concentration camp. Now, Kate, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Well, this has been a really interesting and important show, um, so thanks for letting me call in. Well, first of all, I read the book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, because it felt like everyone around me was reading it and recommending it. It was incredibly popular, number one, you know, best-selling author and so on. Um, so I thought, I've got to read this. I read it within two days. It was just a book that I couldn't put down, and it is gripping. But I wrote a review of the book, and I wanted to do a little bit of digging, and that was quite interesting. So Heather Morris... Um, as you said, it's it's based on a real person. She met him um, and she interviewed him. But she does say the book is 95% true and that there are some aspects that have been fictionalized or changed. And I think that's quite a problem when we blend fact and fiction and the reader doesn't know where that line is blurred. And even me, someone with a history background... Um, it wasn't until I read a report that was published uh, by Vanda Vitek Malika, um, and she works at the Auschwitz Memorial Research Centre. And it's and you can read it; you can access it for free online. This report, and it's really interesting. Um, and it's the fact checking of the tattooist of Auschwitz, and actually, they really were not happy with this book. And um, this document explains things that simply couldn't have happened or didn't happen. And for those reasons, um, they're they're not happy with this book. Um, I've actually um, got something in front of me here, a quote from Mm -hmm. that report that says the book contains numerous errors and information inconsistent with the facts, as well as exaggerations, misinterpretations and understatements on which the overall inauthentic picture of the camp reality is built. Because it is a love story. And I do know that people met and fell in love um, because a friend of mine, um, she's also a teacher and her grandparents met in Poland and they were victims of the Holocaust and they were bonded by this experience and stayed together and married but there's this concern that 
this book and some other books were almost glamorizing and romanticizing um something that was just horrific and something like this there's lots of books now there's a librarian of Auschwitz the violinist of Auschwitz mm. the sisters of Auschwitz um there's so many and this issue of blurring fact and fiction is really problematic because there will be people reading the Tattooist of Auschwitz who perhaps don't know much about it and will take it all at face value. That's really, that's really interesting, yeah. Kate. Thank you. And I, I think that final point you made is particularly important as well, because I think at times we can all, we're all guilty of being part of a pack and being part of a herd. And if we've been in, if, We've, the messages around something are, oh, it's very good, it's won an award, you've got to read this, then actually that sort of cultural conditioning makes us think a certain way. And I think it's very important that people have the critical capacity to be able to question things, to be able not to take things at face value um, and, you know, offer a very reasonable critique. Now, the question is, of course, we've discussed before in the striped pajamas we've discussed the tattooist of auschwitz as inaccurate and misleading historical fiction and with the emphasis on fiction um if you wanted to read about the holocaust something which was historically accurate kate where would you go well actually um i do think as a teacher a history teacher who has taught this and I taught it when I um, was an RE teacher as well we were teaching mm -hmm. it as part of an RE unit and I really wish I'd had training professional development or sort that out myself because I probably do have regrets about how I've taught this topic in the past um, in the sense of planning lesson tasks and so on um, but the thing and I know lots of people can't do this but I would urge everyone to the way that I learned so much about the holocaust was actually visiting Auschwitz um, because I had a tour guide and it was just all of these facts these stories um, things that I just didn't know and it just really I mean, it was very emotional, but it's things that, that stuck with me. Um, and then when I was teaching it, it changed the way that I taught that topic. So I, I would encourage anyone who has to teach about this at some point in your career to go and visit, or even if you're not a history teacher, it really does. I mean, I was on a tour of Auschwitz with a group and one person um, a tour guide was speaking and it was a really hot summer's day and somebody asked uh, we weren't in a gas chamber we were in um, a room that that would have had bunk beds where um, people would have slept and it was very bare minimal and um, somebody on the tour said oh is there any air conditioning in here I'm really hot and the tour guide was furious and said no there's no air conditioning and when people were living here and working here in horrific conditions, they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have heating in the winter. And it was just like, come on, you know. Um, so for me, yes, there's lots of books, but it is very difficult. Um, I did go out and question and challenge. There's a, um, 
a subplot in the book where a Jewish woman has uh, a romance with a, a Nazi soldier. And this report said, no, absolutely no of way. Of course not. That would not have happened. Mm. But having said that, there are lots of people who who will read the book, think that was interesting and feel they've learned something from it and would just accept that and not challenge that. Um, so I do think that authors actually, if you're writing a book where you're fictionalizing elements of it, they have a responsibility to at least say at the end of the book, this bit isn't true. This bit has been exaggerated. This bit mm. never happened. Um, because otherwise, like I said, there's just lots of issues. And the fact that Auschwitz published this report, that they were not happy, well, that, that's not good enough, is it? Thank you for that, Kate. Now, I, I have come across um, the um, head of the Auschwitz Memorial Research Centre, Dr. Peter Sekovitz, um, and he's recommended some books um, in response to people saying, well, um, if we if we can't trust the tattooist of Auschwitz, if we can't if we can't look at this as something which um, is a faithful account of um, you know personal accounts of the Holocaust, he's recommended Helena Birnbaum's Hope is the Last to Die, um, today's Borovsky's This Way for the Gas, Ladies and Gentlemen, um, Victor E. Frankel Man's Search for Meaning, um, Imre Kotesh, um, Fatelessness, Rena Kornreich Gellis and Rainer's Promise: A Story of Sisters in Auschwitz. It's, and Primo Levi, if this is a man as well, and the truce. So there are there, there are a lot of books out there which may not have had as much acclaim or as much publicity as the boy in the striped pajamas or the tattooist of Auschwitz, um, which are well worth exploring and well worth reading, which have been a recommended um, by the Auschwitz Memorial Museum. Um, Kate, um, fantastic contributions there. Thank you so much Thank for calling you, in. I'm going to leave, but carry on. But before you leave, before okay. you leave, <laughs> you're, you're on tomorrow morning with Tom Rogers. Yes, and oh, I'm actually... I can't wait. <laughs> I'm in Liverpool at the moment and I've seen Tom tonight. Oh, um, <laughs> we had a few drinks and, oh, and then we both went home and then said, oh, we're going to listen to Tom Hopkins' book show. <laughs> we, we, well, we, I, I hope you're not too hungover tomorrow morning. I know. Anyway, no, that's not to you, that's to Tom. Um, <laughs> what are you going to be talking about? Well, it's going to be really interesting. We're going to start off talking about because Tom and I, and I always say this, he is genuinely my best friend. Mm. He's been one of my, my best friends for years. And we're going to talk about the importance of having a teacher friend in your life. So we've probably all got one. Or if we haven't, I think we all need one. Um, because a teacher friend just gets things that perhaps someone who isn't a teacher won't understand so good talk about teacher friendship we're going to have a little bit of a debate about cognitive science which i am worried about because we've had this debate privately on whatsapp and it doesn't always end well so that's going to be on a public forum we're playing a game have you ever where i asked tom 20 oh sorry or would you ever <laughs> so it's going to be fun fantastic um Thank you, Kate. I'm, I'm very looking forward to that. I will, of course, be tuning in as you, you yourself and Tom are very kindly tuned in to me tonight as well and made the whole experience much, much better from a hosting perspective. So thank you so much, Kate. Oh, um, we've got um, our Wordle, TTR Wordle. Um,
Nathan Ginn went for clean. He's got the L, E, and A in the right place. Um, Harry um, went for gleam, G-L-E-A-M. Again, L-E-A in the right place. I am going to give away some sort of prize um, if you can get the correct five-letter word, which was chosen by a random Twitter word, not Twitter, random five-letter word generator um, just before I came on. There will be a prize available. Now... This was supposed to be a show about a random of news. It has focused more on Holocaust Memorial Day and issues around teaching the Holocaust and um, some of the books to do um, about the Holocaust in terms of fiction as well. Um, but I do want to talk about exams this summer because anybody who teaches GCSE or A-level, particularly A-level, I think, knows that the 7th of February is going to be a very important day because the 7th of February is going to be the day when teachers receive information on specific topics which are likely to be covered in this year's examinations. What I didn't realise, however, until I read this exclusive from Jewish News is that Nadim Zahawi, um, the Education Secretary, says the following, this is a direct quote, those taking A-levels or GCSEs this summer will go to the mean between teacher assessment and pre-pandemic. So what I seem to be thinking is happening is that actually there is going to be an element of teacher assessment in GCSEs and A-levels this year. Um, and I've tried to read this story and I've tried to see exactly what's going on here. But by the looks of things, Nadim Zahawi is saying that teacher assessment is going to play some sort of role. And I want to dig in more to this because this is the only place where this particular story has been reported. There's nowhere else which has said this. So I wonder whether this is simply a misinterpretation of what he said. But he did say word for word let me find it again those taking a levels or gcses this summer will go to a mean between teacher assessment and pre-pandemic now that may just mean actually in terms of where the grades are coming in actually so actually that may have been a complete load of rubbish in terms of actually readjusting the grade boundaries and things like that as well so sorry jewish news but i don't think you've got that one quite right with your headline or whoever wrote that whoever wrote the article spot on but the headline not sure um the other one, of course, is that the publication of content which could be examined um, apparently is not going to make it easier for more able pupils. Um, that's according to Joe Saxton, who's chief regulator of Ofqual, in her speech to the Sixth Form Colleges Association conference earlier in January. Um, so what's happening is one of two things. Either in the case of GCSE history, geography, English literature, some content is being taken out. There will be a choice of content. Um, however, for other subjects, and those subjects at A-level, there's going to be advance notice on the 7th of February on the focus of exam content. Um, Joe Saxton then says pupils will be given information on February the 7th to help focus their revision to answer questions carrying more marks, higher tariff questions, whereas advanced information will not be provided for simpler one or two mark questions. Of course, much of the advanced information gives a steer on how to revise the higher tariff questions, although not all of it bluntly to focus advanced information on low tariff questions would be nonsensical 
I wonder what is a low tariff question, what is a high tariff question here? Um, I teach, for example, A-level history, and the lowest mark question I have is a 10 mark question. Is 10 low tariff or high tariff? I don't know, to be honest. So are they going to publish exactly what could be on? Or are they going to narrow it down? I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. So the seventh for February is going to be very, very, very interesting. Um, and of course, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how teachers adapt as a result of this. Are they, as a result of being told what content is likely to be on the exam in the summer, going to focus their revision on that? Are they going to, if they haven't finished teaching the curriculum yet or the specification, are they going to continue teaching if that part is clear that it's not going to be on? It raises some very, very interesting questions. The justification, of course, for all of this, which I agree with, if you disagree, please do let me know by tweeting me, tweeting us or texting in if you're live in the studio. Um, we hope that the benefit of advanced information will mean that students who suffered the most disruption or those who are less able may gain confidence to tackle elements of a paper that they might previously not have felt confident to try. Now, I've got a theory about this. Um, I think that, and feel free to disagree or feel free to challenge me if you think you've got a more informed position, which let's face it, you probably do on the balance of probabilities. I think the grade boundaries at the top end this year will be remarkably similar to other years. I think that the grade boundaries to, at the bottom end, if you take GCSE, for example, the grade boundaries at grade one, grade two, grade three will be much lower. And I think that will simply reflect the spread of attainment being much wider this year than it has been in other years because we know that some students have been disrupted more than others. We know that some students have lost a lot of confidence as a result of the lockdowns and the pandemic as well. Um, I personally welcome any attempt to make it, these exams less daunting. I think it raises some interesting questions, the approach which is being taken in history by removing content. Is it a tacit admission that um, there is too much content in GCSE history? I know full well that the history teachers listening will agree with me. I'm sure that there is too much content in GCSE. I don't know about IGCSE. That might be different. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Um, I'm, as I say, it's you know, all of this is very interesting in terms of exams, but the people I feel most for are the students because they're the ones who are dealing with the uncertainty and they are the ones who ultimately their futures depend on these, set of grade, these sets of grades that they're going to get at the end of this academic year. And obviously it's a stressful time for us teachers, but really it's about, it really is about the students and those of them who read the news and that might be maybe more than you think or certainly whose parents read the news may get stressed may get anxious by news around exams and how they're going to be assessed and things like that and I think it's our duty as teachers to make them as you know as confident as possible and reduce those levels of anxiety as far as we can. Um, interesting that Sarah Hannafin who's senior policy advisor for school leaders union the NAHT um, says the problem is for those students who've suffered the most disruption to their education. Knowing what to focus on for revision might not help if they haven't managed to cover all the content with their teachers. But it goes on, by publishing this information the spring term rather than earlier, 
the differentiate the differential impact of a pandemic on students could be exacerbated, serving to advantage those students who have not experienced so much disruption as opposed to supporting those students who have had the most. I've got a caller who has just, I've just missed them, what I was saying earlier about it being much easier to catch than before. Now, who knows who this is? Richard Crust. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Where are you calling from this evening? My bedroom. Fantastic. Fantastic. Anything further in that? Anything you want to add here? Live on the Late Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. We've got four minutes left. Oh, yes. Um, no, not really. No, not really. Fantastic. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, <laughs> we've... We've got we, we've got Wordle. We, we're playing a game of Wordle. So far, we've got something L E A something. You can give us a go. We've had Gleam. We've had I can't remember what the other one was. If you want to have a go, we've got Linda Green. All of the callers are coming in at fifty six minutes and thirty seconds. We've got Linda Green coming in now. Oh, hello, wonder, Linda. I wonder who Linda Green might be. I've I wonder who. Um, I have invited them in. Linda Green is a speaker. Linda. Linda? Linda? Where's Linda? Oh, I can't hear Linda. What a shame. I have a funny feeling that I I, I wonder who this Linda Green is. Um, I'm sure I'll hear from them on the next Late Late Show, but I can't hear from them at the moment, which is very, very sad. That's a shame. I'd loads of stories I wanted to go through this evening. And I only and I only made to go through to an often day, Richard. I don't want to hear anything more from you. I'm not quite sure how you are from Um I've got no idea actually. Um let's see what I can do. Ooh, oh, that's a bit brilliant. Bye bye, go. Um so thank you very much for joining me on the late late show tonight. Um Let's see, I've got a few notices at the end. I've always got a few notices at the end. Um, thank you for tuning in tonight, of course, whether you've been listening live or tonight. Um, it's certainly been a late, late one. We've got Linda Green again. We're going to try Linda Green again. It has been great to be back on the Teachers Talk Radio Airways proper. We're going to try Linda Green one more time. And yet I still can't hear a thing. What a shame. Um, we'll give Linda a chance. We'll give Linda two more minutes to try and make some noise. Um, tomorrow, though, we've got some brilliant shows. You heard um, from Kate Jones earlier on the show tonight. Um, she's back on in the morning with Tom Rogers for their first ever joint Saturday breakfast show. Um, that starts at 9 a.m. if neither of them have had a lie in. Uh, they're followed by Dr. Emma Williams at 11am. There's no Joseph Hammond this Saturday, but he will be back next week. Um, Mary Akello is on for her debut Twilight show in the evening too. She was first on Teachers Talk Radio as a guest with Genevieve Bent. So I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say. And Miss Sade is back at 8pm with a late show, this time joined by Beth Wilson. It will be great, I am sure. Um, I shall see you on a Twitter space at some point in the future, no doubt. I believe these late, late shows are every month. I'll tell you what, I really enjoy them. 
maybe Tom Rogers. We might need to get me on these late, late shows maybe every other week. I'm sure we can find a way around that. Um, so I'm sure I'll see you back on the late, late show at some point in the future. I'll be honest, dry January really can't come to an end sooner. What is it? It's the 28th of January. Only three more days to go. Almost there. Um, tune in. Talk it out. Stay safe. and Enjoy your weekend. And see you next time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.